initiative. Let's pray. We're going to dive right in uh, to Mark chapter 2. God, thank you. God, I pray for uh, Pastor Matt and Katie and the family, the kids as they're away. God, I pray for a refreshing time. I pray this is a, a time where they're able to just be restored and just being able to relax. And God, I'm thankful uh, for our relationship. I'm thankful to be here uh, with these incredible people. And God, I'm thankful for what you want to do. So God, as they're traveling, as they're uh, having fun, God, I just pray that you're with them, strengthening them in Jesus' name. And God, I just pray uh, these next couple moments as we spend time together, as we get into your word, God, I pray it's your word that transforms people. It's the words that you've spoken. It's the words that, that bring life. And so God, I pray in Jesus' name that we'd receive that word, that our hearts are ready uh, for what it is that you want to do today. Would you help us? Would you give us strength, God? Because we don't want to do this on our own. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark chapter 2. I'm not going to say anything to you that's going to be easy today. It's going to be very difficult. Letting you know that up front. There's nothing I'm going to say to you that are like, oh, that's pretty easy to do. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be really hard. Because for whatever reason, you and I, we do life with people. And people are difficult. Okay? And sometimes we are that people. And we're the difficult ones. And we have to talk through that. And so Mark chapter 2 is perhaps a, a passage that you've read before. Maybe a little different light in how you, you're going to hear it today. Uh, but let's look at these 12 verses. It says this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. That type of friend right there that you just need to have, right? Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. We can be sure, for the man on the mat, relationships were difficult. From a cultural standpoint, he was an outcast. Men had to approach the man on the mat. It wasn't about the man on the mat approaching men. Okay? Understand this. And here's the first question. Who carries your mat? Who carries your mat? Because there's moments in your life where you will need someone to carry your mat. And you will be a, a person that needs to carry the mat of others. This is the temptation, but this is also the problem. At some point, we could be so out of balance that we're constantly trying to only carry the mats of others, and we 
hoard everything inside, we hold on to things, and there's also people that have the tendency to always want their mats to be carried. They always want people around them. This is the balance of what we have to do. And when we're doing this, because we all have the mat, there's all obstacles, right, to get to Jesus. Some have to overcome the obstacle, not of a crowd, but of guilt, of anger, of inadequacy, insecurity, all of these things. We have to overcome this. But do you hear what he said? He said, because of their faith. This is not about the man on the mat. This is about the people who's carrying. Because of their faith. What is it in a relationship that you bring to the table that because of your faith, you carry the person on the mat. And because of your faith, miracles happen. See, you and I, we love miracles. Every single one of us. If I said, I have a miracle for you, you want a miracle. But nobody in this room wants to be in the predicament that needs a miracle. But when it comes to relationships, do you see yourself as the solution or the problem? And a lot of times we think we're the solution when really we're the problem. And so he's asking, whose mat are you carrying? Who do you allow to see your weakness? Who are you authentic in front of? Who sees the real you, not the pretend you? Who sees the you that knows you better than anybody else because in knowing you and, and, and more than anybody else, they can call you out. And in calling you out, and see, this is where we, we mess up relationships. When you call me out, you think it's because I need to be exposed but maybe Jesus is saying, I need it exposed because I want you to grow. Maybe it's not to shame you. Maybe it's to grow you. Did you hear what it said about this relationship? They had never seen anything like that before. When was the last time our relationships screamed to other people, I've never seen anything like that before? So I share Mark 2 with you up front just to give you a heads up of what we're about to head into. Because you and I do life together. This is like first service, bless you. Because you and I do life together, conflicts will happen. People will hurt you. People will mess you up. If you're in the room and you need to hear that they're wrong and you're right, I'm gonna tell you right now. There's moments where you're right and they're wrong. You look at your spouse right now. Did you hear what he just said? I was right and you were wrong. Because really it comes down to that's what we want to hear. We want to hear they're wrong and I'm right. But what if I ask you, what if it doesn't even matter? What if it doesn't even matter? If God is the heart is reconciliation, then us constantly going you're wrong and I'm right doesn't really matter. It comes back to this. When something happens in a relationship and you're shaken, you're stirred up. Because when you're stirred up, that's when you find out what actually your heart contains. You don't find out when someone says they love you. Because you and I respond with, well, I love you too. But when it's shaken, that's when we find out what it contains. So let's look. John chapter, let me read 1 Peter first. 1 Peter Verse, verses 7 through 9 of chapter 4 says, but the, but the end of all things is at hand. Ask us a question. So how should we live? Above all things, have fervent love for one another because this love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable and friendly 
to one another, there's the two, two words at the end, without complaining. Peter is writing to the church and people are dying for their faith. People are being dragged in and out of temples and synagogues because they believe in Jesus and they're being dragged out. So families are in synagogues and temples and family members have been killed because they believe in Jesus. And Peter's writing to the church and he's saying, hey, guys, love one another above else. Hey, above everything, you're to love people. Do you know what's on the heart and minds of people who are losing family members because they believe in Jesus? Hearts and mind is not love. It's how do I protect my own? How do I get revenge? And so Peter's saying, above all else, you love people. And if he's saying it to a group of people who are dying for their faith, then what is our excuse? Well, so-and-so said something bad about me. Well, put on your big boy pants and grow up. But you know what? We can't say that to people because they might have their feelings hurt. What if it, we're living in a moment because the end is near where your feelings need to get hurt? Fun stuff, isn't it? Jesus said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. It's new. You know why it's new? Because up to this point, revenge was the commandment. An eye for an eye was the commandment. Okay? You do this to me, I'm going to better you and do it to you. Makes absolutely no sense. You say it to your kids, right? It makes no sense. I'm going to say something negative to you, well, I'm going to say something negative back. What is that? In the end, what did we just do? We just exchanged words. When was the last time you won someone to Jesus because of an argument? When was the last time someone protested outside yelling hate and someone said, you know what, I kind of want what they have. I, I like that. I mean, I don't mind the poster and what it says on the outside and how hateful they are. I think I want what they have. doesn't win. So Jesus says this is the new commandment. Here's the new commandment. Love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will what? Prove to the world that you are my disciples. So he doesn't say, love the lovable and love the way you know how to. He says, love as you've been loved. How has Jesus loved you? I think we should all do a study on how Jesus loves us. How does Jesus love us? Is Jesus kind to us? Is he patient with us, some more than others? Is he compassionate with us? Is he forgiving when we come to him? Jesus doesn't say, well, I can't forgive you. It's been too many times. He doesn't say that to us. And so he says, I want you to love people the way you've been loved. And listen, this is how we find out how we've been loved. This is how you know how you've been loved. The way you treat and love others. Anybody can say lip service, right? Anybody in this room could go, you know what? I'm a lover. I love people. And Jesus says, all right, let's find out. Let's find out. So, hear this. Love is expected. First and foremost, love is expected. It's not optional. And Jesus says it starts right here. It starts with belief. He's talking to his disciples. He's saying to his disciples, you're to love one another. In that group of disciples, there's some real pieces of work. 
okay? Judas, piece of work. Peter, always constantly running his mouth. You have no excuse not to love the people at your work. Let me say this. What if you are the answer to prayer at your work, and instead of complaining about where you are at place of employment, what if Jesus was just answering a prayer that you have? What if loving one another is to be the extension at your work and not looking for another job? What if you're the prayer that's been answered at your work? But he says, first and foremost, stop thinking that you can love people outside of here when you've not loved people inside of here first. Love one another is what he says. He continues because you and I need to hear it a second time. A couple verses later, right? But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. So now Jesus is saying the people you disagree with, the people that don't think like you, the people that have hurt you, that have despised you, that, that are against you, I'm asking you to love them. And he takes it a step further. He says, and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. And do to others, verse 31, as you like them to do to you. Jesus never says to us, when you get it right, I'll love you. Jesus says to us, while you were still sinning, I died. You and I take the approach, whenever they want to come back and they want to say that they were wrong, then we can start from there. That's not what Jesus does with us. Stop trying to put a Christian spin on the way you're acting as if Jesus is okay with it. No? Okay. And this is what Jesus is protecting. This is the sacred truth that Jesus is protecting. Jesus didn't say forgive your enemies. He said love them. Because you can't forgive someone until you first can love them. You and I, myself included, say things like, well, I'm just going to forgive them. But then I unfriend them, I ignore them, and I slander them to everybody else. Well, I've forgiven them. Totally have. No, you haven't. He didn't say forgive your enemies. He said love them. In fact, this is the test. Can you pray for those that curse you? And not just pray. Can you pray a blessing over them? I would take it a step further. The blessing that you receive, can you pray that that blessing goes to them? And then he takes it a step further. He hits us where we all go. He hits our pocketbook. Because our, our lives are controlled by those things, right? The way, where we spend our time, where we spend our money, reveals where really we are. And Jesus says, oh, and I'm asking you to give to them without ever expecting anything back. So this is always the test. For all of us that go, I've totally forgiven them. Glad I don't have to see them anymore though. Glad they went to a different job. Jesus saying the test is, can you pray the blessing over them and can you give to them something that was like, not like fasting stuff. You and I fast weird, right? Anybody else are like, yeah, I'm totally fasting chocolate. You're like, you're allergic to chocolate and you've not had chocolate in 20 years. Why are you fasting chocolate? That doesn't make any sense. Well, I'm gonna forgive like that. We bring that into, I'm gonna forgive like that. Well, here's the test. Give them something that you want. 
as you would a friend, as you would someone you're on good terms with, give to them and never ask for it back. That will prove that you have forgiven them. Pursue them. That will prove, listen, anybody else in this room ever seen someone, we'll just say Walmart, okay? You've seen them and you avoided them. That's nervous laughter, folks. <laughs> that is conviction laughter right there. Like, yes, I have. This morning, you know. Not just because they're talkers. Just because you don't want to see them. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't do that to us? Luke 6, he continues, and he says it again, this time with an exclamation point. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them. It's like he's saying the same thing, right? He is. You know why? Because you and I don't get it. We need to hear it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Right? Twice, we didn't need to hear it. There's power in the tongue of life and death. Oh, choose life. That doesn't make any sense, right? Why is he saying it twice? Because we don't get it. So Jesus, same thing. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will be acting as children of the most high God. For he is kind to who? The unthankful and the wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So here's what he's saying. I'm asking you to love people right here as you want to be loved. And then I'm asking that this love right here prove to the world the way you're treating one another that when you go out that now you're loving people who are against you, not for you. Because he even later says, anybody can say I love you and you love that person. He said, no, I'm not asking you just to love people that are lovable and cute and cuddly and all that kind of stuff. I'm asking you to go outside and love the people that are against you. They're, they're not for you. They don't want the best for you. I'm asking you to love them and I'm asking you to be kind. This is where Romans 2.4 comes in. He says, I'm kind for what reason? His kindness brings us to repentance. That's what, Roman, that's what Paul told the Roman church. His kindness. So he says, I'm kind to the unthankful and the wicked. I'm asking you to be compassionate on them as I'm compassionate. So this is the standard God is using. He's saying, listen, it's expected of you as followers of Jesus, it is expected for you to do this and, and to understand the way God loves and the way God forgives. How does God forgive? This is, the, this is the, the part where a lot of people get messed up. When you look at the prodigal son, okay? Prodigal son, you and I probably would have never been that dad. Your son comes to you and says, I want what's mine. The prodigal son, what the son was saying is, dad, I wish you to be dead. Because you only get your inheritance when a death happens. He came to him and said, Dad, give me my inheritance. Okay? Dad does as he wished. Anybody else have a hard time with that? He does as he wished. No questions asked. No strings attached. We attach strings. He did not. He let him go. 
when his son hit rock bottom. Weeks, months, a process, a time happened. It says dad was an option. Why was dad an option? Dad was an option is because he didn't write him off. Is the relationships that you and I have conflict with ever possible of reconciliation because of the way you leave them? Or are we too written off? It says, and this is my question to you, when did forgiveness happen? I believe forgiveness happened when the father let him go. And the father every single day chose to love him, chose to look for him, chose to see him. But forgiveness really happened, restoration really happened, reconciliation happened when the son realized I'm living with pigs and my father's house would be greater and he saw him. And when he saw him, what did he do? The Bible says he did something that was against culture. He wore a robe. It was, it was not right for a man to show his knees at the time. It says that he hiked up his robe and he ran to his son. You know why someone runs to his son? Because he's chosen love. It doesn't say that he said, son, where have you been? Where's my money? You're a disgrace to this family's name. He doesn't say that. He says, my son who I thought was dead is alive. Get out the best calf and let's party. That's what he said. Why? Reconciliation happened. Forgiveness was chosen a long time ago. You're seeing the height of that relationship of one man choosing forgiveness, choosing to love. A man that could have been bitter, could have been rage, could have chosen anger, but he didn't. He chose love. And because he chose love, celebration happens. What was lost was now revived and reconciled. How do we bring this into our relationships? We walk away bitter and afraid and angered and we do all of these things and we don't leave it the way it needs to be led. So we get to Ephesians chapter four and it says a couple things that you and I have to see. Verse 30, just three verses. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by what? By the way you live. Remember, remember, why do we have to remember? Because you and I are busy people. But can I say this? Don't be offended by this. Take this, take, take. nobody in this room is too busy. Your priorities are just out of whack. You're not too busy. You're choosing to do things over other things. We're not too, we need to be reminded. Not because we're stupid, but because we, get, we allow things. So he's saying this, listen, remember, Jesus has identified you as his own, guaranteeing you heaven. This is what he's saying, guaranteeing you heaven. Get rid of what? All bitterness, all rage, all anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. He's saying, remember Remember the Holy Spirit lives within you. You're trying to do relationships how you would do relationships. It's not gonna work. Your flesh is always gonna come out. Who you are is always gonna come out. Be reminded, don't bring sorrow by the way you're responding. 
And let's, let's be honest, we respond sometimes in a negative way, and because we respond that way, we prolong the process of reconciliation. By what? Our response. Guys, I'm living this. I live this a lot. This happens. If you do life with people, you're probably going to be confronted with this on a weekly basis. Why? Because flesh tends to get in the mix, and we need to be reminded. He's saying, remember, don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Bring joy to the Holy Spirit. How? How do I bring joy to the Holy Spirit? By the way you live. By the way you respond. Listen, there's truth in what people are saying to you, even if they say it to you not with the best intentions. Let me ask this. If right now I have something on my face, all right, it's just obvious to everybody. I can't see it, obviously. You can see it. Something's on my face. And someone in the back probably a teenager, just because that's who they are, that stands up and they start saying like, ha, you, you got something on your face. You look like a moron. Does it matter that they just called me out like that? Or does it matter that they just pointed out a truth that I can correct? Or do I tend to go? If I'm the person that says, is there truth in this? Then it shouldn't matter the attitude behind it. If we're truly truth seekers, and someone is pointing out truth to us, then why isn't that enough? Why isn't that enough? I don't need you to come to me and say, hey, you have something on your face. Let me wipe it off for you. Both of them have revealed truth. That should be all that matters. He's saying how you respond is everything. How you respond is everything. So if someone says to you, you know what, I don't find that you're very patient, or I find that you're in a bad mood a lot, or I find that you're just a cranky person, maybe there's truth to that. What if you responded, you know what, work right now has been kind of crazy. You're right, I've been cranky because of work. I apologize for that. What does that do in the relationship? The Bible says, if at all possible with you, be a peacemaker. Live in peace. You know what that means? That means you constantly put your hand out and it doesn't matter how many times it's slapped away, you keep putting it out. So much that Jesus says, I say forgive up to 490 times, 70 times seven. That's, that's what I say. And some people, they'll stretch that all the way to 490. And usually they're family members, right? You're like, every Thanksgiving and Christmas, you're like, all right, here we go. 490's coming out. Between November and December, it's gonna happen. There are people I gotta do this with. He says, replace the hate with kindness, with being tenderhearted. He said, replace it all with that. Forgiving one another. He didn't say just forgive. He says forgiving. You know what that means? Multiple times. You know what the word in, in this, in Ephesians 4.32, to forgive means to give grace. So you're forgiving someone. You're giving grace to someone. So you see forgiveness is giving helpful words when they deserve angry words. It's giving people kindness when they deserve harshness. It's giving people compassion when they deserve our wrath. It's not a feeling. It's an act of will. It's being intentional. This is not loving people with a feeling. It's loving people with intentionality. Being intentional. How am I being intentional with the way I love people? And Jesus says, this is how you are intentional. You do good. You do good to them. That's how you're being intentional. 
And that's how Christ did it for you. Second thing, love is expected and love is reflected. And here's what I want us to see. So many people come and they don't know who they are. You come to church and you're like, what's my identity? It's the wrong question. The wrong question is because we all have the same identity. Everybody in this room. And this identity is gonna take every single one of us in this room to a lot of different places. Genesis 1.26 says this. Let us make man in our image. This is identity statement right there. The image is that you and I are to be mirrors for who God is. That's our identity. Everywhere that I go, everything that I say should be reflecting who God is. That's my identity. And that identity and the way I live and the way that I project and the way that I treat people will open doors everywhere that I go. Some on the mission field, some to a job, some to a school. It's going to open the doors. You and I look for identity in what we do, not who we are. And that's the mistake. Love is expected, but love has to be reflected or we're missing the point. And we've just become Christians that hoard all of this stuff in and never reflect it. So when someone comes to you and says, man, you're a very loving, compassionate person. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not me. On my own, I'm not very loving. But I'm loving because that's what Jesus did. Man, you are a forgiving person. Well, it's not me. It's just that I understand Jesus forgave me. See, you and I think we got to spread the gospel by standing somewhere or going somewhere. No, it's not about that. It's about what people see sometimes without even talking. So how am I reflecting Christ? How am I reflecting who he is? And, and the reality is we've messed it up. I've messed it up. And so people then see it and we're not proving then to the world that we're his disciples. We're showing the world that the church is divided. That we're against each other. Some of the worst things that I've ever seen and how people have treated one another has been in church. Oh, you can't talk about that, Pastor. Yeah, we're going to because there's some vicious people with, with fishes on the back of their cars and Joy FM on the radio. <laughs> so I tell my people, you guys take Life Church X bumper stickers because when you're a tool on the road, I want them to think you go to that church. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> We don't give out bumper stickers. You crazy? I know some of those people. I'm just now giving out t-shirts. You know, it's like, whoo. I saw a kitten. Well, never mind. I'm not even going to say it. Oh, man. We're reflecting what Jesus has done and what I believe Jesus has done or what he hasn't done. This passage came alive to me uh, about 13 years ago. Very personal for me. Psalm 69, 4. I can tell you where I was. I can tell you what I was doing. I was spending some time, and I was in a church in St. Louis, and I was just reading the Bible, and Psalm 69.4 jumped out at me. And I read it, and I was like, wow, I've never read this before. Like, I've never, this is, came alive. Go ahead and put that up for me. It says, those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. Though, be my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. And I sat there and I read that. And for the first time ever in my life, ever, I saw that I play a role in restoration. I'm a, 
I'm a finger pointer. I'm a person that says, you were wrong, I was right. And, and you could get everybody in the room to agree with you. God himself could come down and say, I agree, he is right, and you are wrong. And he's saying, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You play a role in restoring it. And I remember that moment. There's a man in my life that had hurt me. He had said negative things about me. He threw my name through the mud. And God spoke to me that day. Listen, as him as my witness, he said, you need to call the man and apologize. I said, for what? He did this, not me. He should be calling me. I don't even know his phone number. Instantly came to me. So I called him. Now, when you haven't talked to someone for a couple of years, and then when you've heard their name, anger happens in your heart, this is a difficult phone call, right? So I called and I said his name. And I said, hey, I just want you to know, back in the area, I just moved back from Omaha, Nebraska. Back in the area, and I just want you to know that there's been moments where I've caused shame to your name. And I apologize for that. And he said, okay, thanks. And that was it. And I remember hanging up the phone and I'm like, God, was that it? I expected angels to come down singing hallelujah. <laughs> he said, it wasn't for him, it was for you. Six months went by and I'm downtown St. Louis at a festival and my role in the festival is I'm driving a golf cart for bands that were playing and I see this man in the crowd. He waves me down. He gets in the cart and said, I've lost my group. I don't know where they're at. Can I hang out with you? I said, absolutely. You should have seen my wife's face when we rolled up together. Again. There wasn't pleasantries that were happening when we brought up his name. We spent the day together, and he says at the end of the day, can we have coffee? And I said, absolutely. And we had coffee that week, and he said to me, I've wronged you. I've wronged you. And I want you to ask, I want you to know that I'm sorry, and I ask that you forgive me. And reconciliation happened when repentance happened. Repentance happened when two men humbled themselves and it wasn't about being right, it was about reconciliation. What if we take this mindset into relationships that it's not about who's right, it's about restoration because I can tell you this, I can tell you this, I can speak from example. We can figure it out early in life. We can figure it out right now and we can move on. But it will affect the way you do life when you hold on to bitterness. So much that Jesus says, if you come into worship and you're worshiping and it's a great song and the band is on, on it, and you think of someone that you have hate against, stop what you're doing, leave the worship set, and go make it right. You know why? Because Jesus says it's that important. Stop making this all that it is and make it about that. 
And then you'll see a world that says, I want to be a part of what you're doing. So it says in Mark chapter 2, and then they were amazed at what they had just seen. What was so beautiful? Miracle? Absolutely. Miracles happen when you and I get it. When we get it. And maybe you're in the process right now where you're like, my hand hurts from constantly putting it out and constantly being hit away. Well, how would Jesus respond to that? He just put his hand back out. Love. It's more than just a word, and it's more than a pretty thing that we can put up on our, on our church. It must be something that we live. It must be something that we live for the kingdom's sake, for people that you love's sake, okay? Would you pray with me this morning?